Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Good morning. Uh, We'll try that again. Good morning. You know what was really blew me away? That about half the congregation was up here. I love that. We talk about being future-oriented as one of our core values, and we saw it in action right here. It's amazing that so many of our congregation are involved in that student life. And uh, I'm just so grateful to God for that. I bring you greetings from Pastor Rhoda. We did share text messages this morning, and uh, she's looking forward to being back. I also want to welcome everybody who's online. Thank you very much for being part of this and making this part of your worship for today. Um, Last week, how many of you, you were here last week? Could I have some? Okay. Last week, my very good friend Ron Maitland spoke here, and Ron introduced a new series called I Understood the Assignment. I Understood the Assignment. Now, Ron and I go back a long, long way. Ron is one of those people who's so really passionate about God, passionate about growing in his faith, passionate about growing in service, and he makes sure that that passion rubs off when you talk with him. We challenge and stretch each other on a regular basis, almost every conversation. And Ron put a little acronym together for us for last week, and we're going to put it up on the screen just to remind ourselves of where he came from. Ron was talking about understanding the assignment in our communities. And he said that we should be using the acronym BLESS to begin with prayer, to listen, to eat together. Now, all of those sound wonderful, right? (laughs) We should be serving and then be ready to share stories. And as Ron was doing this, I I sent him a text message afterwards and I said, Ron, I, I, I was doing some work with God and God was doing some work on me while you were sharing that. So thank you so much. If you missed it, by the way, it's available on, on OSC's Facebook page, on our YouTube page. It's available on our podcast. It's well, well worth listening to again. But speaking of understanding the assignment, um, the Queen of Canada passed away this week. Now, I realize that people have mixed feelings about monarchy. However, I think that nobody can deny that when it came to understanding her assignment, Queen Elizabeth II nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. I was born before her reign, so I'm actually dating myself now. Many of you are going, wow, you and Noah must have been friends. I don't remember much before her reign. But I do remember the stories of her being, her activity during World War II. 
I do remember the stories of, of her being actually actively involved in her community in so many practical ways that were seemed unqueen-like. And so, I think if you want to understand what understanding the assignment means, maybe we have someone we could look to other than God. Before we say anything more, though, about understanding the assignment, I'd like to pray with you. So please bow your heads with me. Father God, we've come into this place and uh, we bring with us everything that we are. People are sitting online on their couches and all that they are is around them. Sometimes we come to a place like this hoping we can leave behind all that other stuff, but it seems to follow us. And so as we take this time for a few minutes, I ask that your spirit will work on us in the realities of our lives. It would be nice to escape, but escape is not a possibility. So in the reality of who we are and everything we are, Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question for you. Has any of you, have any of you got a movie that you've watched more than once? Okay. I'm, those of you who were here last week, I'm taking a leaf out of, out of Ron's page. Um, he asked you to turn to your neighbors and talk to them for a few seconds, so I'm going to ask you to do that. Turn to your neighbor, tell them about the movie that you've watched more than once and why you liked and why you watch it more than once. 30 seconds, okay, go ahead. Ten seconds. Four, three, two, one. I know it's going to be hard to stop you. Anyone want to just yell out what the movie was? Ten Commandments. Okay. You're going back even further than I'm going to go back, but that's all right. Star Wars. Okay, man. So you've got something to talk about after church, right? This is why I like to watch this movie more than once. I'm going to show you mine on the screen. Now I'm dating myself. <laughs> Blues Brothers. Anybody seen it? Some people are going, what is that? <laughs> if you haven't seen it and you like blues music, you have to watch this. The reason I liked it so much, you know what the tagline for the movie is that you hear over and over and over and over again? We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. And they tie that in with blues music. Couldn't get much better, right? And they tie it in with, I mean, the plot, yeah kind of over-the-top ridiculous, but cool anyway. 
I just love that idea. We're on a mission from God and, and blues music. There's, there's Blues Brothers 1 and Blues Brothers 2. I think one's better than two. We can have a discussion. Um, I want to ask you another question. Do you have any recurring nightmares? Anybody have any recurring nightmares? Oh, am I the only? Okay, there are a couple. I have one that, play, that has plagued me since childhood. And Robert, if you could put the picture up on the screen. I grew up within walking distance of this beach. This beach is Nahoon Beach in East London, South Africa. Now, on this side of the beach, not the, not the sand dune side, on this side, there's an area called Nahoon Reef. And Nahoon Reef is where they've held the World Surfing Championships many a time. I used to ride my bike to school. I'd ride up the hill, and then when I got to the top of the hill, I could see the beach. I would have to turn right to go to school, or I could turn left to go to the beach. And if the waves were good, I turned left way too many times for my, the good well-being of my education. But one day on that beach, the brother of a classmate of mine was attacked by a shark and lost his leg. Now, we knew all about the sharks. We would swim and they would call us out of the water whenever the, whenever the sharks came. But all of a sudden, that changed everything. Going into that water was difficult. You've seen Jaws, right? I, I know the feeling. And so that, that nightmare would come back again and again. His name was Robert. His sister, my classmate, was Renee. And, and we relived that experience so many times. I was about 12. And I have another recurring nightmare. And in fact, it happened this week. And it goes something like this. I'm back in university. But this time, I am missing my assignments one after the other, after the other, after the other. And my profs are getting on my case. If you keep doing this, you will never graduate. And, if, and, and this, this, is, this nightmare still plagues me, as I said, just this last week. I guess it has something to do with my passion that my life has to be about something. The greatest fear that I have, my greatest fear, is that my life will be bland and vanilla and flavorless. I suffer from a serious case of FOMO. <laughs> fear of living too small and missing out on what God is doing in my community. I need to be about something. Now, I'm one of those people who's actually written a personal vision and mission statement. I've written a statement which says, this is who God wants me to be. I've written a statement which says, this is what God wants me to do. And those things drive me. It had to be refined in the way it was implemented a number of different times. Um, when I was working, it was, it was clear in my mind. And then I retired. So now how do I, who am I now? And what do I do now? And it needed to be refined again when my wife got really, really sick. And um, when Pastor Rhoda asked if I would sort of volunteer and step in while she was away, I said, you know, I can't leave home much, right? You understand that? And she said, yes, we get it. All you've got to do is be at the phone. 
Who am I now? And this, is, this has been so intense for me that a number of steps along the way, I've needed to get professional help. I've needed to see a therapist. And I'm here to tell you that it's quite okay to have faith in Jesus and have a therapist too. And if any of you have, have any questions about that, I want to say it again. It's quite okay to have faith in Jesus and a therapist too. My mission statement is to create environments where people can discover the God who passionately loves them. I used to say, I, I, I get to tell people about the God who passionately loves them. I tried that. It didn't work. As a husband... My mission statement is to create environments to, for Mary to become the woman that God wants her to be and to experience the God who passionately loves her. And as I wrote that and thought about it this week, I realized I, got, I haven't been living that one. I've got some work to do, and it really sort of refocused, and God and I had an intense conversation so now you know my primary fears. What are yours? Because fear is a normal part of human existence. We all fear something sometime. Every one of us. It's absolutely normal. But one thing that COVID has done is, is brought a new focus on fear. And research has been done on COVID and fear and how it has expanded into other areas of our lives. There's, there's, and it's not just the fear of the disease. It goes well beyond health concerns. It has, what they've discovered is that fear, as it's been amplified, has actually turned us into becoming more conformist and tribalistic. We've become less accepting of eccentricity. Our moral judgments have become harsher. Our social attitudes have become more conservative and our tendency to other people has become more intense. Fear is incredibly powerful, and when it starts in one area, it infects and spreads across the rest of our lives. And this brings me to a New Testament story. We're going to go into Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 22 and go through to verse 33. Jesus has just fed a huge crowd of people, and I wish we could talk about that because there's all kinds of historical stuff behind that that makes that story so powerful. But we'll leave that for perhaps for another day. Um, here we have Jesus speaking, and he says, and it says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dispersed the crowds. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already far from land, was taking a beating from the waves because the wind was against it. As the night was ending, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. Cried out with fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage. 
It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, order me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. Peter got out the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid and started to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they went up into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So let's talk about the characters that are in the story for a few minutes. Most of them stayed in the boat. Ever ask yourself why? And then there's Peter. And then <laughs> there's Peter. Why did he do what he did? Maybe it had to do with his temperament. Maybe he's an impulsive early adopter when it comes to change. And I can relate to that part about him. The worst thing you can say to me is we've never done it that way before. But maybe there's way more going on than simply his temperament. Maybe he actually understands his assignment. You see, he's older than all the others. He has a mother-in-law. He's married. The others aren't. One day, a question comes up about paying tax. And Jesus tells Peter, you go and get, the, get this coin and, by the way, and pay the tax for you and I. All the other disciples were too young to be taxpayers. They only had to pay for two. So his age gives him responsibility. And he needs to take the lead on things. And I got a funny feeling he enjoyed that. And then there's something else. You see, when you become the disciple of a rabbi, you're expected to do absolutely everything that the rabbi does. That's what it means to be a disciple, by the way. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, and we call ourselves disciples, we do what Jesus does. It's as simple as that. There's a little saying of the time that says, you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which means that as your rabbi walked along and kicked up the dust, you were walking close enough to them so that the dust landed on you. So when he sees Jesus walking on water, he needs to do it. He understands that is his assignment. Like him, we hold two things in tension, our natural tendencies and what we believe we're supposed to do. He understands his, his, his assignment in terms of his desire and his responsibility. And if we stop the story there and make the story about Peter, there are so many different directions we can go. There's, another, there's a, a book written, and Robert will put it up on the screen. The book is called, If You Want to Walk on the Water, Then You Have to Get Out of the Boat. The author is John Ortberg, and Ortberg says that there are a number of reasons why we should get out the boat. He says, faith grows when we take risks. Life would be boring if we stayed in the boat. Anyone up for a few days of boring? I would love that. 
He suggests that the main reason for getting out the boat, however, is that's where Jesus is. Which means you meet Jesus in the act of taking a step of faith and there's definitely something to do to this. I was in a meeting once, many years ago now, at a place similar to Camp Hope. A guy was up front speaking like I'm doing now and he stopped his sermon. He says, I don't know why I'm doing this. But I've got to, something tells me I've got to ask this question. And if, if you're the person I'm asking this question to, stand. Is there anyone sitting in this congregation right now who feels that they want to become a pastor? And I have no idea what happened to me. I was working in the sciences. I was thoroughly happy in being a scientist for the rest of my life. But I just popped right out of my chair. And the people next to me were sniggering and laughing because, you see, back in those days, I had a speech impediment. Whenever I stood up in front of people to speak, I would whistle my S's. So you ask for the news and you get the weather report. And they thought, yeah, right, you're going to be a pastor. Can you just imagine this dude whistling at the congregation every week? And yet, here I am thanks to a very good speech therapist. More recently in my neighborhood, we've lived in the same house for over 20 years. Unusual for a pastor, right? We've lived in the same house for over 20 years. I have had hardly any spiritual conversations with my neighbors in those 20 years. When they heard a pastor was moving in, they all went, ah, and held their breath. And not only that, but then they would go to work early in the morning and then I would leave home around 10 and I would, by the time I got home at night, all their lights were off. They used to complain that every time I locked my car, the horn would go beep and wake them all up. So there was this distance. And then I retired. I said, okay, God, now what? How do I create environments for these people to know that there's a God who passionately loves them when they are kind of scared of me? So I made myself the garbage collector person for the neighborhood. You know, everyone puts their garbage bins out. I thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go put all their garbage bins away. It's working like a charm. Accepting has taken an interesting turn. It's now become a competition. I haven't put mine away in three weeks. I went out, just this week I said to Mary, oh, I forgot the garbage. And I went outside and... Oh, it's not there. My neighbors put it away. I'm a gardener. We have a big rose garden in the front. And I, I did that on purpose because then I've got to be out front watering. So people have to walk past me because we're in a cul-de-sac and I'm on the corner. You've got, you can't escape without going by me. And uh, so I'd be, be out there and people started coming and admiring the roses and and we start talking. And just this last week, for the third time in 25 years, I had a spiritual conversation with one of my neighbors. If you just put yourself out there, who knows what's going to happen? So there's definitely truth in the idea that when we meet Jesus, when we step out in faith. 
But the reality of this story is Peter stepped out in faith and it didn't go well. He met Jesus all right, but he had a sinking feeling about it. You see, it's not that he lost faith in Jesus' ability to walk on water. I mean, it was, that wasn't a matter of faith for him. That was a matter of fact. It was happening in front of his face. He gets distracted by what's going on. And oh, we know what that's like. And Jesus asks, why did you doubt? And Robert, can you put the slide up, please? Um, the word he uses for doubt is an interesting word. There are a number of different Greek words for doubt. Some of them mean what we think doubt is. I, don't, I no longer believe or I question my beliefs. That's, what, that's not what this word means. It's made up of two words, dis and, 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 and stadzo, or di and stadzo. The di part stands for two ways, or double. The stadzo comes from a word stasis, which means standing. Standing in two ways. Uncertain. Why did you become uncertain, Peter? Ever been uncertain about God? Now, the other thing I want to point out here is the two ways that Jesus could have answered that question. He could have said, why did you, you know, finger under Peter's nose? Or he could have said, Peter, man, why? What happened? Help me understand. And in the second way, we create an awareness and if we heard Peter's answer that day, I think he would have simply said, man, didn't you see the waves? He doesn't believe he can do it, even though it's quite evident Jesus can. It's just too big for him to handle. Ever been there? Stuff just gets too big to handle? I have. A number of years ago, we, I was part of a group that started a new church in Abbotsford. Things were going well. We had 200, 250 people attending. And around that time, my daughter was really sick. And, and they, the people tell me, I don't remember this, the people tell me that more than once, the ambulance came and picked Kerry and Mary and Gareth up to take Kerry to the hospital, and I stood up to preach. I don't remember that. I do remember, however, that things got too big to handle. One of our church members had a, had, a, had a family member who passed away, and I couldn't go and visit. It's not that I didn't want to. I couldn't. I had nothing left to give. I quit pastoring for three years. I know what it feels like when things get too big to handle. I think you do too. His story is our story. I mean, you've been hearing about this ministry fair thing that's coming next, next week, right? Maybe you're wondering if this, is, if this is the time for you to kind of step out the boat a little bit and try something. Something you've never done before. Or maybe you're wondering if you've got the bandwidth to do it. I mean, your life is so full already. Where are you going to put this in? Or maybe you're just plain asking, so what is my assignment in this? I don't know the answers to that, but I do know the two things. 
there is an adventure to be had in trying to find something new that may add a whole new flavor to your life. There definitely is an adventure to be had, and that adventure with God is worth more than money can buy. Secondly, though, if we make this story all about Peter and his getting out of the boat, then we have done exactly what Peter did. We've taken our eyes off Jesus. You could hear me saying today, get out of the boat. Come on, get out the boat. But here's the deal. Be better at it than Peter, right? Don't take your eyes off Jesus, whatever you do. You can do it if you really try. You can hear me say that. So please, please, don't be afraid. And if that's what you take away from today, that would be tragedy. Because Peter isn't the main focus of the story. Jesus is. The story is told two more times in exactly the same sequence, right after the feeding of the, of, of the 5,000. And in the other times in Mark and John, Peter's name is not mentioned and nobody gets out the boat. And by the way, each one of them end the story differently. I suggest you go and read them. The Bible is an amazing book. It challenges us, it stretches us. But this story is there, and it does have value. But the story is not about taking more, having more faith or taking risks. The core of the story is about where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. In the minds of the first hearers, water represents much more than water. Whether we're talking about the chaos that exists before God separates the water and the dry land, or a great flood, or, it's, or the deep blue sea and a great big fish. In Jesus, in Jewish thought I should say, water is the place of chaos and disorder and a threat to human life. And that's why we're told that when the Israelites need to get away, God separates the water so they can go on dry land. And in Job chapter 9, we're told that God is the one who treads on the waves of the sea. So when Jesus is described in this gospel by all of God, the three gospels, as walking on water, here's what's going on. They're telling us that Jesus is doing what only God can do. Now that changes the story. Now the story takes on a whole new perspective. But not only that, it's not only what Jesus does, it's what he says. When he says, take heart or have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. By the way, the words do not be afraid appear 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of your year. He uses the same Greek words that are used back when Moses asked God what God's name is and God says, I am that I am. And in Greek it's ego emi. It could also be, and perhaps more accurately so, I will be who I will be. In other words, God shows up exactly the way you need him in any, in any and every given circumstance. That's why when you go through the Old Testament, God has a whole lot of different names. 
And you go through the New Testament and Jesus says, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am, I am, I am. And each time described slightly differently because your life circumstances differ and I am is enough in those times. So the gospel writers have Jesus trampling over the waves, announcing, guess what? I am is here. That's what the story is about. All three versions portray Jesus as identifying himself with God. His words bring his disciples courage and end their fear. The first readers, the first ones to read the story were living in very dangerous times. This was most likely written around about the time of 70 AD. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. And if you've read some of the descriptions by Josephus and others of how terrible it was, where yeah, let's just leave it. I was going to say something and I thought, no, I'm going to cause nightmares. It was absolutely terrible times. And I have no doubt that when they read the story, their fears were dealt with. They were given some comfort. They found some courage. And I want to suggest that that's the point of the story And our assignment today is to fear not, I'm with you. That's our assignment today. You see, all these characters in the walking on the water story, the cautious ones in the boat, the brave one who walked walked on the water for a short time, and that same one who sinks and calls out for help, and the ones who saw it all and confessed that this is the Son of God, They're actually all equal in their relationship with God. All of these have one thing in common. They are the ones whom Jesus draws near to saying, it is I, do not be afraid. The glamorous part of the story, of course, is that Peter walked on water. The better part of the story is Jesus did. But what happens on either side of of Peter's short water walk? Jesus comes towards him. In the storm, Jesus walks toward the boat. When Peter sinks, Jesus stretches out toward Peter. And then he comes so much toward them that he actually gets in the boat. He couldn't be any more toward them than that. Yet, We seem to always focus on Peter walking towards Jesus. And in the doing of that, we miss the heart and mind of God. The whole story is about how much Jesus walks toward them, reaches towards them, even gets in the boat with them. This is wonderful news. This is way better than get out the boat, but be better at it than Peter, and don't take your eyes off Jesus. You can do it if you really try. This is a better story than that. 
But it's even more wonderful because all of these crossing the lake stories that the Bible mentions, and there are a number of them, whenever you read about Jesus taking the people across the lake, it's about crossing boundaries of experience and understanding. It's about stepping into something new you've not experienced before. It's about understanding things in a way you've not understood them before. When God does the unexpected, unpredictable things, we get afraid. And that's normal human behavior. And sometimes we use that fear. And we abuse the story. So I'm here to tell you this morning that if anyone tries to manipulate you through fear to get something that Jesus wants you to do or to be something that Jesus wants you to be, don't listen to them because that Jesus is the one who says, fear not, I am with you. Fear is not on his agenda at all. Fear and uncertainty, part of our human experience for sure. But there's one thing we don't need to be fearful and uncertain about at all, and that is our connection with God. There is absolutely no reason. I am in awe of God. I am in awe of the God who walks towards me. I do not fear him. And sometimes, sometimes we've used fear. Have you ever heard this? If you should die tonight, where will you spend eternity I'm sorry, that is using fear as manipulation. That is the exact antithesis of this story. We can't do that and claim to be followers of Jesus because he says 365 times, fear not, I'm with you. You see, another Bible writer sums this whole thing up this way. He says, God is love and then perfect love casts out fear. We have nothing to fear when it comes to God. Absolutely nothing. And so the assignment, our assignment today, to live in close proximity to the God who says, fear not, I am with you. I have a deep, deep personal connection to this story. Back in 2015, I was at Camp Hope. And it was the Friday before camp meeting was was scheduled to start. My phone rings, and my son's phone rings at the same time as our daughter. My wife has just had a huge stroke. Thanks to my daughter's wisdom, identifying the symptoms, and calling 911, she, they got her into hospital and, and she responded to the treatment immediately. But in the middle of that experience, I heard the song that we we're about to sing for the first time. And in fact, the person who sang it and led it that day is going to be leading it today. That's Carolina. And the song starts off, you call me out upon the waters. And as I heard that song that we're going to sing in a few minutes, it calmed my spirit. I heard the invitation of Jesus and I experienced the promise of Jesus, fear not, I am with you. 
You see, this version of the story ends with everyone saying, truly, you are the Son of God. In our experience, in Mary and my experience, we crossed a boundary into a new, unexpected, scary experience. But you know, we can say with absolute certainty, truly, you are the Son of God. So this is a prayer song. You sing this song to God. But I need to give you a heads up. There is a, there's a part of this song that contains an invitation to God. And the invitation is to allow God to take us into even deeper waters. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, and I don't know if this, at this moment in life you're ready to sing that part. That's okay. No pressure. But please, please, please don't miss the heart of God in this song. Fear not. God is with you. And truly, Jesus is his son. God bless you. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.